Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. There's a big difference between watching something and doing something. Amen? Let's just think about it like this. There's a big difference between watching a UFC fight and being in a UFC fight. Amen? There's a big difference between the two of those. There's a big difference between watching your favorite band play and then playing with your favorite band on the stage. There's a difference between watching and doing. There's a difference between watching the Dallas Cowboys at home, not their home, at your home, at your home, sitting on the couch, eating nachos on a 42-inch flat screen TV versus suiting up and taking the field and playing with your favorite team. There's a big difference between watching and doing. And today we're going to see that difference play out as Jesus calls his 12 disciples. And it's at this point that Jesus is going to move his disciples from watching to doing, from being a spectator to being a participator, that they're going to get up, they're going to get on mission, they're going to join the team, and they're going to make a big difference. And what we're going to see today is 11 life lessons from the 12 disciples, that these disciples are Jesus's best friends. They're his nearest and dearest friends, that they spend more time with Jesus than anyone else. They're going to spend about three years watching Jesus, following Jesus, because that's what the word disciple means. It literally means follower, that they're going to listen to, they're going to learn from, and eventually they're going to become just like Jesus, because that's the goal of discipleship, that you would become like Jesus. And today, we're going to see the hinge that everything hangs on for these men's life. We're going to see what moment defines them, what moment changes them, what moment transforms them. And it's this moment that happens this day, and it's where Jesus moves them from watching to doing, from being spectators to being participators. And ultimately, the goal is that Jesus is moving his disciples and you and me from come and see to go and die. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to see 11 life lessons from the 12 disciples. And this is a short section. As we're studying the gospel of Mark, we're calling it the simple gospel, where we're spending about two years walking verse by verse, line by line through the book of Mark. And today, what we're going to do is I'm going to read it all up front, and then we're going to unpack it on the back end. So if you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter three, starting in verse 13. Okay, here's what he says. And he, being Jesus, went up onto the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed the twelve. So there it is. That's the disciples, the twelve disciples, who he also named apostles so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he also gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. Okay, that is sons of thunder. Let me just just say this. Okay, Sons of Thunder, that's an awesome nickname, right? If Jesus is going to give you a nickname, it's going to be a cool one. Sons of Thunder. It sounds like a WWE, right? Tag team match. You're like James and John off the top turnbuckle. It's the Sons of Thunder, right? That's just the way, that's just the way your pastor reads the Bible. Anyway, moving on. 18, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, bum, 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 the one who betrayed him. Up until this point, much of Jesus's ministry has been come and see. 
That Jesus, he comes out of nowhere. He comes teaching and preaching repentance. He comes revealing the kingdom of God. Jesus comes on the scene. He's casting out demons. He's getting in fights with the Pharisees. Jesus is preaching sermons, shaming the scribes. I mean, Jesus, he's doing everything. Jesus is the most famous, infamous person in all the region. He's popular. People are coming for miles and everywhere just to come and see because they want to know who is Jesus? What is Jesus going to do? What is Jesus going to say? What is Jesus going to do next? And everybody's watching and everybody's waiting and everybody's wanting to come and see. Much of Jesus's ministry starts with come and see. And we still model a lot of our church after the come and see aspect of Jesus's ministry, that we really do want people to be able to simply come and see, right? That's the reason that we put such an emphasis on our church for the Sunday morning gathering, because this is the most likely place that people are going to come and see. They're going to come through the doors on a Sunday before they're going to connect in any other place. And people, they want to be able to come and see. So we put a lot of emphasis on the Sunday morning worship gathering experience because we want to make it very simple for people to be able to come and see. So we have a band that actually knows how to play their instruments and they play good songs. So we want people to come and see. We put a lot of emphasis on having a safe and fun age-appropriate children's ministry because we want for you to be able to come and see. This is the reason that, you know, we have greeters at the door to make people feel welcome because we want you to be able to come and see. This is the reason that we planted our church in a bar. Like, that sounds interesting. Why don't you just come and see? This is the reason that we put such a focus on preaching God's word at the center of our message because we want people to be able to come and see. This is the reason that when we get ready to move into our new building, it's also in the heart of downtown, in the center of the city, because anyone from all of Southeast Texas in the Golden Triangle, a 25 mile radius, 500,000 people can get to our new building in about 20 minutes, making it very easy for people to be able to come and see. And a couple of times throughout the year, we throw a big party, an anniversary, a celebration. We rent a food truck, right? We get bouncy castles for the kids. We throw a big party. We want people to come hang out because we want to make it as easy as possible for people to listen to the invitation that Jesus gives. It starts with this come and see. We model a lot of our ministry after the ministry of Jesus that says simply come and see. And the reason that we do this is for two reasons, okay? First is this, because people are nervous when it comes to going to church. People are nervous and people are curious. People are nervous when they go to church for the first time, because let's just be honest, okay, church is weird. Right, going to church, it's awkward, okay? I mean, where else in the world do you show up, listen to someone play cover songs, sit down and have somebody that you don't even know yell at you for an hour? I mean, that's just, that's just weird. And then you get up and you eat body and blood and flesh. It's just, it's just this weird, totally, totally strange thing. And so going to church for the first time or the first time in a long time, it can be awkward and it can be very nervous, because you don't know anybody. You walk up the stairs and you're like, okay, what's going to happen here? Okay, am I going to join a cult? Because that's what people wonder. Like, is this a cult? Right, going to church, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if it's a cult. And the problem with cults is you don't know you're a cult until the last day. It's only at the very end when you show up and they're like, hey, we got you these white pair of Nikes and some Kool-Aid. And you're like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> so people are nervous about going to church because we don't know. 
right? Are you going to show up? And like, you have to, pastor's going to bring you on the stage. And you're like, hey, tell everybody your life story. You're like, okay, my name's Steve, and this is really uncomfortable, right? Are you going to have to get up and shake five people's hands? Are they going to play We Are Family? And you have to go around in circle giving strangers hugs? I mean, you never know what to expect when you go to church. And so we want to make it very easy because many people are nervous, and we just want you to be able to say, hey, you know what? Our church, just, just come and see. But people are also curious. They're like, well, I don't really know who Jesus is. And I don't really know what the church teaches or what the church believes. I haven't been to church in a long time. And, you know, I could use some hope and I could use some healing. And, you know, maybe there's something there for me. I don't really know, though. And so many people are curious. And so when your friends ask you, like, hey, well, what's happening over there? What do you believe over there? What are you doing over there? We want to make it very easy for you to be able to say, hey, why don't you just come and see? And so we model a lot of our ministry off of this aspect of Jesus, where he just says, hey, you know what? Just come and see. Come hang out with me. Come spend some time with me. Come listen to me. Come learn from me. Come watch the way that I do things. Just take some time and come and see. And that's exactly where the disciples are at. Up until this point, it's about a year in Mark's gospel and in Jesus' ministry. And up until this point, the disciples, they haven't really done anything. They're there and they're around and we're going to see him today. But up until this point, they haven't actually done anything. They're following Jesus. They're watching him. They're part of the crowd. They're seeing his ministry, but they they don't really do much. And that's the same place that a lot of you are at. A lot of you, you come to church, you follow Jesus, right? You come and see, but you don't really do anything. And today is the day that Jesus is going to move you like he does the disciples from watching to doing. See, it's okay for you to be in that come and see season, but not forever. Eventually, you're going to have to get up. You're going to have to join the team. You're going to have to make this move from watching to doing, from being a spectator to being a participator. And Jesus, like the disciples, he's wanting to move you for mission from come and see to go and die. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do 11 lessons from the 12 disciples. So the first lesson is this, that you start with prayer. Okay, Jesus, he has a very big decision to make. I mean, Jesus, he's got to choose the 12 disciples. He's got to pick 12 men out of a large crowd who's going to follow him. Jesus is very popular, very big. He's very famous, infamous. I mean, last week we saw that there was upwards of 4,000 people following Jesus, a great crowd crushing him on this very big day. He's got to choose out of the crowd. He's got to pick 12 men out of 4,000. This is a big decision. And these men, they're going to have insider access to Jesus, that they're going to spend three years of their life listening to, having dinner with, spending time with, that Jesus is going to invest in them. He's going to shape them, mold them, train them, and eventually he's going to send them out. That these 12 men, that they're going to watch Jesus be arrested and tried and crucified. Jesus is going to rise from the dead. He's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to fall on Pentecost, empower them. And from this day forward, these men, they're going to plant churches. They're going to preach sermons. They're going to raise up trained leaders. They're going to write books of the Bible. These men are going to change the world forever. Jesus has a big decision to make. How do you choose these 12 men? How do you pick these 12 men? This is a very big decision. I mean, there is no plan B. There is no backup option. Jesus, he gets one shot. God doesn't have a second son. He has one shot, one chance, one opportunity. If he blows it, it's not going to work out. He's got to make it count. So what does Jesus do? How does he make this big decision? It says he starts with prayer. The first thing he does is he goes up to the mountain. That is a place of prayer. That Jesus is getting alone with God in times of of silence and solitude. 
that he is practicing spiritual disciplines. He's listening to the voice of the Father so he can know the will of the Father. He gets alone, and before he makes any decision, it starts with prayer. Any big decision that you make in your life, it needs to start with prayer. Because when you start with prayer, you're able to get God's heart, God's mind, God's will, God's word, God's guidance, and his direction. And when you have God's direction, then you're able to move forward in confidence. That you can have confidence about the decisions because you have God's direction. And so everything we do needs to start with prayer. Once you have prayer, once you know what God's telling you to do, then you're able to move forward and you're able to do the things that God has called you to do because you started off with prayer. I can't tell you how many times as we get ready to move into this new building that I am just so uneasy, that I'm uncertain, unsure, I feel overwhelmed, I feel exhausted, I'm tired, I'm like, God, I don't know if we can, if we can do this. But I remember, no, we started it off with prayer. It started with prayer, and so the first thing that we did before we ever took the four lease sign off, we had our elders and pastors and other men that speak into my life come down to the building. And we walk through it and they're like, no, this is where you need to be. I believe that this is where God wants you to be. And so I have confidence because we started it off with prayer. And then from there, we brought all the deacons down. We walked around the block a couple of times. We prayed over the building. We laid hands on it. There was a prophetic word spoken over the building. And so anytime I'm uneasy, I remember, no, we started with prayer. And before we tore out a single nail, before we busted up any sheetrock, we got the whole church together. We had a big prayer night. The presence of the Spirit was there. God's certainty was in the room. And I know that I know that I know we started with prayer. And so I have confidence Anytime I'm uneasy, uncertain, unsure, I just remember, no, we started with prayer, and this is where God wants us to be, this is what God has called us to do, and then, and then we're able to move forward, but I know that we started off with prayer. Everything you do needs to start with prayer, but if you're like me, how many of you, type A personality, like all you do, you have no break, right, you're just go, right, there is no reverse, there's just, there's just go, that, that's all that I am, I just go, 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 go. Right? If you're like me, then what you tend to do is this. You make a big decision, and then you ask God to bless it. That, that you say, okay, here's what I'm going to go do. And then you go do it, and then you're like, oh, hey, God, by the way, could you, um, could you bless that? And then you find yourself in the middle of it, and you're like, help. Right? Help, Lord God, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what to do. And then you're just praying, Lord, help. Listen, Lord, help is a great prayer, but how many problems could easily be avoided if we learned to pray first instead of praying last? How many situations would be easily avoided? How much confidence about the decisions that you make could be had if you learned to pray first instead of praying last? What we need to do is we need to learn to get alone, to spend time, to make time, to be with God and pray first instead of, instead of praying last. So Jesus shows us what to do. First thing you need to know is to start with prayer. The second thing is this, follow the leader. Okay, Jesus is the leader. Okay, I'm not sure if you know that or not, but Jesus, he is the leader, that he's the boss, he's the Lord, that he is in charge. He's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who just makes it all. He's Wow. Hey, there we go. He's sovereign. He's Lord. He's in charge. Jesus is the leader. Okay. And a lot of times what we do is this. We, we think, okay, Jesus, here's where I'm going. I want you to follow me. 
Do you notice this? That the disciples, right? Jesus doesn't follow them. No, no, no. The disciples, they follow Jesus. Jesus calls, and then the disciples, then they go and follow him. But I think a lot of times in life, we get frustrated because Jesus, he doesn't follow us. Have you ever noticed that? You're like, Jesus, why aren't you doing the things that I told you to do? Right? Why aren't you following me? And Jesus is probably in heaven going, you know what? I was thinking the same thing about you. Right? Why aren't you doing the things that I told you to do? Because I thought you were supposed to be the one who follows me. See, we follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't follow us, right? Because he is the leader. And I think a lot of times people, many of us, we get frustrated in our faith because, well, Jesus, he doesn't take orders very well. Right? Jesus, he doesn't follow very well. And people are like, Christianity's not working, right? It's just not. I prayed my prayers. I, I bowed my head. I closed my eyes. I raised my hand, right? I did all the things that they told me to do. And Jesus is still not doing any of the things that I told him to do, right? Jesus, how come she's not dating me? I prayed. Why doesn't she, why doesn't she like me? It's probably because you're weird. So Jesus, why aren't you helping me? I thought I was supposed to get the job. I thought I was supposed to get the promotion. I thought that I was supposed to get this healing. Jesus, you're not doing any of the things that I told you to do. Christianity might not be working. No friends, it's working. It's working because Jesus is trying to show you, hey, you need to follow me, that you need to trust me. You need to listen to me. You need to come and you need to learn from me because I am, I am the leader. And you know what I find amazing is this, that Jesus, he doesn't tell the disciples where he's going. He's like, hey, why don't y'all come follow me? Where are we going? Eh, we'll figure it out on the way. He doesn't tell the disciples where he's going. And the reason why I believe is because if he did, they would probably freak out. Like they probably wouldn't follow him. They're like, okay, well, where are we doing, right? He's like, okay, here's what's going to happen, right? I'm going to come, I'm going to preach, and then they're going to kill me. And then you're going to come and you're going to preach and they're going to kill you too, right? How many of you, you wouldn't raise your hand for that? You're like, mm, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to sit this one out, Jesus, right? If Jesus would have told you everything that you were about to walk through, how many of you wouldn't have raised your hand for that? You're like, no, thank you, God. I don't want the pain. I don't want the difficulty. I don't want the hurt, the hardship, or the inconvenience. Eh, I think I'm just going to go and continue doing my life. The last 20 years weren't so bad. What's another 20 more? How many of you probably wouldn't have signed up for that? Okay, and here's, here's the deal. When you follow Jesus, it's not about what you go through. It's all about who you go through it with. It's not about what you're going through. It's about who you're going through it with. If Jesus is right there, if you're following after him, then everything is going to be the way that he leads you, guides you, directs you. And ultimately, it's for your glory or for his glory and your greatest good. Just keep following after Jesus. Jesus, he's the leader. Okay, you start with prayer and then that's when you follow Jesus. Well, number three, what we see is this, get in a group. Okay, what I find so amazing is that Jesus is God. Okay, Jesus is God in the flesh, that he leaves heaven, he enters into this world on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. That's you, that's me, that's everyone in this room, that's everyone who has ever lived, that Jesus comes into the world, that he preaches, teaches, heals, performs miracles. Jesus lives the perfect life, the life without sin. Jesus dies the painful death, the death in our place because of our sin. Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he's buried in the grave. Three days later, Jesus resurrects, spends 40 days revealing the kingdom of God, ascends to the right hand of the Father, sends the Holy Spirit, Pentecost happens, the church is born, Jesus still rules, reigns victorious in heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. But when Jesus was on the earth, guess what the first thing he did was? He got in a community group. 
Jesus was in a community group. That's the first thing that Jesus did. He finds 12 men, and then he starts to spend time with them, starts to hang out with them, starts to do life with them. Jesus, the first thing that he ever does is get in a group. Now listen, if it was that important for Jesus, how important it is for you? Right? If Jesus is God, gets in a group, how much more important for you, who's not God, by the way, should be in a group? Jesus gets in a group. And that's very important. So number three, what I would tell you is this. You need to get in a group. Now, it was the disciples who needed that group. Okay, it was the disciples who got time with Jesus, and that's when he began to teach them, and that's when he began to shape and mold. That's what happened that changed and transformed their life by spending that time in a group. Because it's when the disciples were in a group, that's when they learned, that's when they learned how to read the scriptures. It was through the group. See, in a couple of weeks, Jesus is going to teach this crazy parable, and nobody knows what the heck he's talking about. Something about seeds and soil and birds. It's so weird, and everybody's like, I have no clue what Jesus is talking about. But it's in the community group. They go back home, and Jesus explains the scripture to his disciples. They learn how to read their Bible. They also learn how to pray. Because later, they'll, they'll come to Jesus and say, they say, teach us how to pray. He says, he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In the group, they learn how to pray. They also learn how to discover their spiritual gifts. See, in this text today, it says that he gave them authority to cast out demons and to preach. They discovered their, their gifts. And so it's through being in that group, they didn't just watch Jesus cast out demons, but they learned to go and do it themselves. They didn't just watch Jesus preach sermons, they learned to go and do it themselves. They discovered their spiritual gifts within the context of a group. And they also learned how to serve. Okay, we'll read another story where Jesus feeds 4,000 people. Do y'all know that story? Feeds the 4,000, feeds the 5,000. Do you know that story? Okay, some of y'all need to go back to children's church. Raise your hand if you know that story. Good job, good job. Okay, well, actually, Jesus doesn't feed the 5,000. Okay, Jesus breaks the bread, he prays over it, but it's his disciples who feed the people. See, it's in that group they learned how to serve. Everything they needed to know about following Jesus happened within the context of community. God did not create you to live in isolation. God did not create you to go through life alone. I think many Christians feel defeated in following Jesus because they're trying to do it on their own. See, you cannot make it through the Christian life by yourself. You're going to have to surround yourself with other people to speak life into you, to hold you accountable, to be able to walk through different things, shoulder the load, learn some things. You're going to need to be around other people if you want to experience everything that God has best for your life. And so what you need to do as you begin to follow Jesus, he invites you to come and see. And so we need to get in a group so we can see everything that God has for us. So number three, get into group. Number four, dream big, but start small. Here it says that he called the 12 who were disciples. So you got to start somewhere. For the disciples, it all started with this simple invitation to come and see. Now from here, they're going to go and they're going to become apostles. But first, they started off as disciples. Before they ever were apostles, they started off as disciples. Dream big, but start small. This invitation to come and see, they spent about a year just watching and listening and learning from Jesus. They didn't really do a whole lot. So maybe they started off by just having a meal with him. They went over to the house and they organized the community group. They passed out the study guide packets. 
They set up all the pillows, made sure the food was still warm and prepared before people came over. When things got really crazy, Peter drives the getaway boat. But every, other than that, they just do really simple things. They do very small things. But as they are disciples and they're doing all of these small things, eventually, well, God gives them a little bit more responsibility that they're faithful in little things, and then Jesus starts entrusting a little bit more responsibility. As the book goes along, you're going to see that their responsibility it continues to increase. They started small, but they were trained up. They taught. They learned. They eventually went on. They planted churches, wrote books of the Bible. Right? They endured persecution. They changed the world. But before they ever became apostles, they started off as disciples. They started small, and then, and that's when they went and did big things. Listen, people come into the church all the time, and they're like, here I am, right? I'm ready. I'm a leader. I'm ready to be in charge. And I'm like, well, have you done anything? Like, nope. Like, okay, well, why don't you go do something? Start small, and then we're going to, then we're going to work towards doing some big things. Why don't you just start small? But people come in, they're like, hey, I'm ready to be in charge. I'm like, okay, great. Well, let's ask a couple things. Are you a member? Like, no. Right, well, you're not called to leadership if you're not called to membership. That's kind of how this works. You're like, well, I'm ready. I want to be a leader. I want to be in charge. I want to be the big guy. You're like, all right, well, do you pray? No. Do you read your Bible? No. Do you serve? No. How's your wife? No, I don't know. How's everything going? Eh, it's not going very good. You're like, okay, well, how about this? How about we put you in charge and you can be in charge of you? Start small. Why don't you just be in charge of you? And then, and then we can work on some other things. But start small, right? Before they were apostles, they started off as disciples. Start small. But yes, dream big. Dream very big. I want you to have big dreams for your life. But we gotta, we gotta start small. Redemption Church started small. Okay, I've been in ministry now for about eight years. Okay, eight years planting churches all across the country, and most of my job so far has been just stacking chairs, cleaning toilets, setting up, tearing down, unloading trailers, trying to herd cats and get them into group. I mean, that's basically been my ministry thus far. And you know what? The whole time, I never got paid. Never got paid. It wasn't until last year at this church that I finally start getting paid. All of that was just because I believed in what Jesus was doing. I wanted to follow him wherever he led me. And so we, we just started small. And we started small, praying and dreaming, wanting to see Jesus do some amazing things. That led us back here to Beaumont, where Redemption Church started with just me and my wife. We started small, and she's short, so it's really small. So that's how our church got started. I didn't tell that joke first service because she was here. <laughs> started small. Right? And then as we continued to grow, we just started inviting people. Hey, here's what I want Jesus to do. Here's our dream for this city. Here's how we want to see lives be changed. And you know what? People kept showing up. And then we, and then we started buying people burritos, and they really started coming because people like burritos. And so they came and they saw. And then as we threw a big party, people stuck around. Bo King, he opened his home for our very first community group. We had 10 people packed into his apartment, and we're just worshiping, praying, and we're just dreaming of what Jesus is going to do. We started small, but we dreamed big. And as we launched redemption at the gig, we kept worshiping, praying, dreaming, and we continued to grow. The gig closed down. We moved up here to Dixie. We're worshiping, praying, we're dreaming that we're going to continue to grow. We're going to move into this new building. We're going to outgrow that new building because we're going to keep worshiping. We're going to keep praying and we're going to keep dreaming because the best is yet to come. We started small, but by God's grace, we are going to dream big. Hallelujah. 
We're going to dream big. I want you to have big dreams for your life. Okay, here's my dream. My dream is this. My dream is that Redemption Church and our fifth anniversary, three years, we're going to be running 500 people. That on our fifth anniversary, we're going to outgrow our new location, move to a brand new one by the old First Baptist downtown, and we're going to move in there. The church is going to grow again, and then I believe that we're going to plant 10 redemption churches out of this one. My dream is that we would have 10 churches on Interstate 10 from San Antonio to New Orleans. I don't want anyone to be able to drive down the highway without seeing a big R on the side of the road. That's, that's my dream. My dream is that every single red light you pull up to in the city, there's an R bumper sticker on the back of that. My dream is that every 120,000 people who live in Beaumont, Texas will have a daily encounter with Jesus and his people in word and deed. My dream is to see revival happen in the city to never look the same again. That's my dream. But before we plant 10 churches, we got to plant one. Right Before Before we see 120,000 people, we need to see your next door neighbor. Before you go and change the world, we got to change ourselves. You got to start small. Yeah, dream big, but you got to start small. Before they were apostles, they started off just like you and me as disciples. Start small, but by God's grace, dream big. Well, the next one is this relationship before responsibilities. This one is so important, and it took me the longest out of any of them to learn. Let me read this to you. So Jesus, he calls, right? He calls the disciples, verse 14, so that they might be with him. What's that? That's relationship. And he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. That's responsibility. Okay, before there was ever any responsibility, they had a relationship, Okay, just think about this, right? They're going to go and they're going to preach a sermon. But before they ever preached a sermon, they had a relationship. They're going to go and they're going to cast out demons. But before they cast out a single demon, it started with relationship. Jesus calls them because he desires them so that he might also be with them. And then that's when they're going to go do some things. Before it comes any responsibility, it starts with relationship. If you don't get alone with God, practice those disciplines. If you're not carving out regular times of silence and solitude, starting your morning in prayer, praying as a family before you go to sleep, if you're not getting alone with God, working on that relationship, then it doesn't matter what you're going to do because you're really going to be good for nothing. Right? Because you're just going to be running around tired, exhausted, stressed, worn out, and everybody's going to be freaking out because you're driving everybody else crazy because you're not going to be good for anything because all you do is go around and try to fix everyone's problems. I know this because this was my life up until about a year ago, right? My life was all responsibility, right? I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I got to go fix this. I got to be there for these people. Anytime the phone calls, I have to answer it. Then I have to go pick them up. Give me more work to do. Give me more responsibilities. Put more weight on my shoulder because I want to fix everybody's problems. And a lot of my life, I was more like a police officer than I was a pastor. And I just wanted to fix everything for everybody. And then it nearly killed me that I was stressed and worried and anxious and exhausted, depleted, and all my life was all responsibility, and I had very little time left over for relationship. 
and I wasn't able to actually be the husband that God had made me to be. I wasn't able to be the, the, the father that God wanted me to be. I wasn't able to be the pastor, and I wasn't be able, able to be the friend because I was so tired from all the responsibilities, and I never took time to get along with God and work on that relationship. See, if all you do is try to go without taking time to be still, then you're not going to be able to do the things that God has called you to do. You need to get along with God, silence, prayer, meditation on God's word, taking time to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then after that, you'll be empowered to go out and do some things. Think about it like this. It's like an airplane that's going down. What they tell you is when the oxygen mask comes out, put your mask on first, and then you can go help some other people, right? But if you're dead, you're not going to be any good for anyone else. So you need to work on the relationship before you go work on the responsibilities. Okay, now here's where I need to pause though, because some of you, you're relationship people, right? You hear this and you're like, oh yeah, pastor, it's all about the relationship. It's all about the relationship. I love the relationship. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Some of you, you're all about the relationship. You're like, "Mm, yes, pastor, I have the ESV journaling Bible. I like to, you know, write out, draw, doodle all my inner thoughts. I have a nice little instrumental playlist on Spotify. I know all of the Bethel songs. I have downloaded every single Stephen Furtick podcast. <gasps> Woo, amen, pastor. I love spending time in the word. I love being in relationship. It's all about relationship. And you'll take a whole day and you'll just sit there and do nothing. You're lazy. <laughs> and everyone else is working overtime because you're not playing your part. Right? If your relationship, it needs to move to responsibility. They had relationship and then they went and did some things. If you're all relationship, no responsibility, you're lazy. Now others, you're all responsibility. You're like me, right? I mean, all you do is just, you're just going. You're just full throttle, nonstop. Give me something to do. Give me some work to do, right? Put some more weight on my shoulders. Give me some more responsibilities. I'm a truck. I can take it. Just go, 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 go and you don't spend time with God, and you're running out of gas, and you're empty, and you're driving everybody else crazy. (laughs) See, some of you, you're lazy. Some of you, you drive us crazy. So what we need to do is we need to work on both. So relationship people, get some responsibility. Responsibility people, you need to work on the relationship. And if we can do both, maybe we might be able to have a good church. Okay, relationship before responsibility. It's so, so important. Well, the next one is this. Number six, keep showing up. Here in verse 16, it mentions Peter, James, and John. These are the first disciples. These are the first ones that we meet. We meet them in Mark chapter one. Very beginning, they're there. Jesus goes up to them while they're fishing, and he says, follow me. Two words, changes their lives. Follow me. James, John, and Peter, what do they do? They drop their nets, and they follow. That's it. And you know what? They just keep showing up. So we see him in chapter one. We also see him not just fishing, but whenever the woman has the fever, Jesus heals her. Guess who showed up? Peter, James, and John. When the paralytic, they cut the hole in the ceiling, they lower him down. Guess who's right there? Peter, James, and John. They keep showing up. Guess who's there whenever they get in a fight with the Pharisees? Peter, James, and John. At the synagogue, when they cast out a demon, Peter, James, and John. Right, whenever they get, you know, the fasting controversy, it's Peter, James, and John who are right there. Whenever the crowds are crushing Jesus and he needs a getaway, he needs an escape, guess who's there? Peter, James, and John. Everywhere we read throughout Mark's Gospels, they just keep showing up. 
And here's the big idea. If you want to see Jesus do something amazing in your life, you got to keep showing up. If you want to see Jesus do a miracle, you got to keep showing up. If you want to see Jesus heal somebody, you got to keep showing up. If you want to see Jesus change your life, then you got to keep showing up. Just keep showing up. And this is so important for me because as a young Christian, this is something that my pastor told me, right? Whenever I became a Christian, my life was jacked. Okay, my life, it was just a mess. This is why I'm so gracious to so many of you, because I was worse than you. And so I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I got a little ways to go, but I, I, I have no, I can't say anything because I was way, way worse than a lot of you guys. I mean, whenever I came into church, man, my life was a wreck. Okay, when I got saved, I was still strung out on drugs. Okay, I was still doing pills and smoking dope. I was just, I was a wreck. Whenever I came to church, I was drunk all of the time. Me and Ashley, we were still sleeping together. I mean, we walked into church, and I didn't know if any you know, Sunday they had good structural support, but it could burn down at any time. Like, that's, that's where I was at. Okay, and, and so, but I just kept going to church. I used to go to church with a hangover. Okay, I would just get up, and I'd be like, oh, God, like, I'm going to church. And so I would just go to church, and here's what I knew. That Sunday morning was more important than anything that happened on Saturday night. I used to go to church without even sleeping, just stay up all night partying and be like, oh God, it's 9.30. I hope they have coffee because I need to go to church. And I just, kept go- I just kept going. I just kept showing up because I knew what happened on Sunday was more important than what happened on Saturday. And I wanted to see Jesus change my life. So I kept showing up. And my pastor at the time, his name was David Burkheimer. I walked into the room and I probably smelt like a skunk from smoking all the pot from the night before. And, you know, he could just see, because I have my glasses on, my eyes are all baggy, and I'm just showing up, and he's like, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, I'm glad that you're here. Just keep showing up. And see, those words, they they changed my life. I mean, think about it. Like, I could have made every excuse not to go to church. I could have made every reason. I could have justified myself and said, oh, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. For me to keep doing the things that I'm doing? Well, because, you know, I had a hard life and, you know, my mom wasn't there for me and I never met my dad. And, well, you know, I could just keep doing what I'm doing because, well, that's my personality type. I'm ENFP. So, I mean, it's going to be okay. And it's just what it is. I could have made every excuse. I could have begun to justify myself. Said, you know what? I, I did pray that prayer that one time. And so Jesus, he forgives me. So, you know, it's not really sin if you're already saved, right? I could have justified myself. I could have got bitter at the church and I could have blamed it for all my problems. I've been frustrated. All oh, those people are judging me. They have bad ideas about everything. Like I could have done those things. I could have made excuses. But that pastor that day, when he put his hand on my shoulder, he didn't excuse my sin. He encouraged me towards holiness. He said, you know what? Just keep showing up. And that's what I did. And Jesus changed my life because I just kept showing up. Like Peter, James, and John, if you want to see Jesus change your life, just keep showing up. If you want to see Jesus do something amazing, just keep showing up. If you want to see Jesus heal, if you want to see Jesus transform, you got to keep showing up. So here you are. You're at church Sunday morning. Thank you. Glad to have you. We do this every single week. Every week we're right here. So guess what? Just keep showing up. Right? This is your second time. Third time's a charm. Do it again. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. You served in kids. Nobody died. You didn't die. All the parents got their kids at the end. Praise God. That's a good day. Right? 
let's do it again next week. Just keep showing up. You went to community group? That's incredible, right? Let's do it again. Just keep showing up. If you want to see something amazing, you got to be there. Just keep showing up. Well, number seven is this. Different is good. Now, when it comes to Jesus choosing the 12 disciples, he doesn't pick people like you and me would pick. Okay, he doesn't go to, you know, pick the Pharisee of the month. He doesn't go to the Sunday school and, you know, get the seminarian graduate, the person who graduated, you know, magna cum laude from Royal Rangers. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't pick the people that you and I would pick. He doesn't pick people who are elite or all together, who have straight A's. He doesn't pick celebrities. He doesn't pick people that we would pick. If you think, okay, well, I'm going to start a movement that's going to change the world forever. You would think we'd at least pick somebody with a, with a reputation in a sixth grade reading level, but that's not what Jesus does. Jesus picks people who are very different because Jesus understands that different is good. I mean, he picks Peter, James, and John, which are fishermen, right? And then he goes and he picks, you know, a tax collector named Matthew. And then he goes and picks uh, another guy who's a zealot. And then there's other dudes that we don't even know what they did. I mean, he picks fishermen. Like their job was to break all 10 commandments before breakfast. Like that's what they did, right? And then you got a tax collector who works for Rome. You got a zealot who hates Rome. And then you got all these other dudes. And some are rich and some are poor and some are young and some are old. And, and some are married and some are single. Some have kids. Some don't have kids. They're all in different life stages. These guys have absolutely nothing in common. Jesus picks this weird, funky, diverse, different group of people, and he calls them all together to be his disciples. Because Jesus understands that different is good. I mean, he picks, he picks Simon, who's a zealot. Okay, here's who zealots are. Zealots, they are like, um, they, they took a blood oath to kill anyone who works in concert with the Roman government. Like, that's a zealot. They're like the down with the man, right? They work for Antifa. They raise their you know, fist and they're like they're all anarchists. So he's just sitting there listening to System of a Down, smoking menthol cigarettes. He's got his an- anarchist patch on his black hood, pulled it over his head, right? And he's just hiding in the shadows, like a, just waiting to shank somebody. Like that's, that's Simon. Okay? And Jesus goes to Simon and says, hey, you follow me. And then he goes to Matthew, the tax collector, who works for Rome. And he says, hey, you follow me. Could you imagine what that first, that first group must look like? You're like, hey, look, it's little emo punk goth Simon. And then all of a sudden, here comes Matthew. You're like, wait, Jesus, what is he doing here? Why, how do you pick him and pick him? And you're going to bring them together? And Jesus is like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, because Jesus understands that different is good. You're like, Jesus, you mean you really tell me you're going to pick emo goth punk rock anarchy kid who's wanting to kill people and then Matthew with the pocket protector and you're going to make them friends? Jesus says oh yeah because Jesus knows that different is good. See look, we live in a day and age to where we want to be around people who are exactly like us Everyone in your friends group looks exactly like you. Everyone you hang out with looks exactly like you. That you, you, oh, you hang out there? I hang out there. You like to go to Luke's? I love to go to Luke's. This is where you work. That's where I work. This is where you go hang out. Oh, I want to do that too. This is what you wear. These are the bands you like. These are your favorite sports teams. This is who you vote for. This is what you look like. This is what you do. Those are the same things that I like to do. And then that's who we hang out with. It's almost like we want to be best friends with a mirror. That's all we do. We just want to just hang out with people who look exactly like us. But listen, if everyone that you are with looks just like you, 
then you're never going to start looking like Jesus. If everyone you hang out with looks just like you, you are never going to look like Jesus. You need to be around people who are different from you because you hear different stories, different perspectives. You learn from different backgrounds. You're able to grow and mature in your faith because somebody has something that you don't have. And then you're able to become more like Jesus. Jesus understands different is good. This is the reason that I love redemption so much. Okay, I love our church because you're different. Okay, some of you more different than others. And you know what? That's okay. We love you too. And I love what Jesus is doing because we are a, we're a different church. I mean, we're this weird, funky, eclectic, diverse, different church. I mean, people look at us and they're like, well, those people are different. And we're like, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus wants. And here's what I say all the time. I said, our church, this is what I dream. I dream that our church, right, people would say, what's God doing downtown? Why are those people hanging out with each other? Why are you going there? I mean, you have nothing in common with any of these people. And you would be able to say, yeah, you know what? Jesus. That Jesus is the center. And when Jesus is the center of our unity, then all that brings around us is diversity. And that is a very good thing. My prayer for us is if we want to be the church that God has called us to be, then we're going to need to reach everybody. Rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Latino, Asian, Democrat, Republican, even libertarians. We need everybody. We need everybody if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be. That's skinny jeans and cargo shorts working together for the glory of God and the good of the city. We need everybody. Because different is good. That's the church that Jesus is wanting to make us. Number eight is for you to find your place. Okay, in the Bible, there's several places that mention all of the disciples, okay? So think about it. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four gospels, and the book of Acts, part two of Luke. And in all places, it mentions the 12 disciples. And they're in different orders, but there's two that are pretty constant. So Peter starts off first because Peter's the leader. Peter is the first among equals. He's the one who goes first. When people are looking for a big decision to make, when they're looking for guidance, when they need somebody to preach on Pentecost, who do they turn to? They turn to Peter because Peter, he is the leader. He's the first among equals. That's Peter's place. Well, the last person to always be mentioned is Judas, right? Not a lot of love for Judas. And you understand why, right? That's Judas's place. And so what you need to do is find your place, right? I'll give you a hint. Judas, not the place you want to be, right? That's not the place you want to be. So where is your place, what God is calling you to do? So Peter, he's the leader. He always goes first. And in your Bible, what you'll notice is that his name is mentioned 189 times. 189 times because he is the leader, right? He goes first. He's, he's loud. He's boisterous. He's impetuous. Everybody's looking to him all the time. And so, you know, he, he goes and he teaches on Pentecost. He plants the first church. He endures the first wave of persecution. He goes on. He writes two books of the Bible, First and Second Peter. He disciples and mentors a young man named Mark who goes on and writes another book of the Bible. Can any of y'all guess what book that would be? You guys, Mark, yeah. See, Mark is actually Peter's story. That Mark, he wasn't there for Jesus' life, but he was discipled by Peter, and Peter tells his story, Mark writes it down for us as the church. That's because that's Peter's place, that Peter is the leader. He's mentioned 189 times. Now, John, on the other hand, he's mentioned 50. So John is the beloved, that John is 
the disciple that Jesus loves the most. John spends more time with Jesus than any others. He's his best friend. He knows him. He's close to him. That's John's place. That's not Peter's place. Right? Peter doesn't get that responsibility. That's John's. And whenever Jesus is hanging from the cross, he looks down to John and he says, take care of my mother. That's the type of guy that John is, that Jesus trusts him with his mom. Jesus didn't ask Peter to do that. Jesus didn't ask Simon to do that. Jesus didn't ask Bartholomew to do that. No, he asked John to do that because that's John's place. Andrew, he had a different place. Bartholomew, he had a different place. Right, you need to know your place. So we have Peter and John. Then we have Philip, he's mentioned 17 times. Andrew, he's mentioned 13 times. Thomas 11, Matthew 9, James 7, Simon 4, Thaddeus, also known as Judas 1. There was two disciples with the name Thaddeus, I mean, named Judas, two disciples. Later, he changed his name. Right, you understand why, right? He's like, hey, my name's Judas. I'm an apostle. Oh, yeah, I've heard about you. Right, no, not that Judas. I'm the other Judas. Just call me Thaddeus, right? That's his story. So Thaddeus or Judas once, Bartholomew once, Judas Iscariot 22 times. Okay, and here's the deal. Some of you, you're going to be like Peter. You're going to get up front. You're going to be on the stage. You're going to go through leadership training and development. You're going to become a pastor or an elder or a deacon. You're going to lead a community group. You're going to get a microphone. You're going to get on ministry. A few of you, you're going to be a lot like Peter. Praise God for you. Some of you, you're going to be more like John that you're going to be more relational. You're going to sit down with people, have coffee with them, listen to their stories. You're going to be able to disciple them through relationship. Some of you are going to be more like John. Others of you, you're going to be like Andrew. And others of you, you're going to be like Bartholomew, and you're going to be like Thaddeus. And you know what? That's okay. That's totally okay. You just need to find the place that God has called you to be and be faithful and grow and do whatever it is that God has called you to do. And you need to find your place. Who has God made you to be? See, I meet people all the time. They come into the church and they're new Christians and they're like, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. What am I supposed to do? What is my calling? And I, I meet with them. I'm like, okay, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Just first follow Jesus. And then what is it that you want to do? See, the Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart. Okay. That doesn't mean that he's going to give you anything that you're wanting to do. It means that when you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, regenerate, that God begins to place new desires in you. That all of a sudden you have a desire to love others. You have a desire to serve others. You have a desire to give others. You have a desire to live your life differently, that God gives you those desires. And so what I ask is, well, what is it that you, you want to do? People are like, well, I don't know. Can I do that? I'm like, yeah. So what is it that you like? They're like, well, I, I like meeting new friends. They're like, okay, great, right? Be a greeter. That's an awesome place. Just, just go and shake some hands. You're like, I really like having people over to my house and cooking for them. Hey, praise God for that. Open up your home for a community group. They're like, well, I like working with kids. I'm like, great. We could use some help back there. Yeah, go and work with kids. They're like, I can do that? I'm like, yeah, you can totally do that. See, Augustine, the early church father, he says this. He says, love God and then do whatever you please. Because if you love God first, well, then you're going to have his desires, and then you're able to serve and to fulfill the desires that God has given you. So that's, that's all you do. Just find your place. And then just, just start serving there and then see where God leads you. But the first thing you need to know is this. Find your place. See, the goal of the Christian life is not for you to grow up and become a pastor. It's not like I am more Jesus-loving, following than you are. 
It's not like, you know, I'm a super duper Christian and all of y'all are just junior varsity. It's not like I have more of the Holy Spirit. I'm a sinner just like you. I need Jesus every day just like the rest of you. The goal of the Christian life is not for you to grow up and become a pastor or get a ministry or have a microphone. That's not the goal. The goal of the Christian life is for you just to follow Jesus wherever he has placed you. So just follow him and then see what's going to happen. So that's that one. Find your place. Number nine, it's going to hurt. Okay, it's going to hurt. So you have Peter, James, and John. Yay. Judas, boo. Judas, that hurts. Do you think Jesus ever stayed up at night thinking about Judas? Yeah. Do you think the disciples were ever like, how did Judas do that? I can't believe he would do that, that he would turn his back on us, really? Do you think that caused any pain or stress for the disciples? Yeah. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have a Judas. That people will let you down. People will betray you. Someone will turn their back on you. Someone will stab you in the back. It's going to happen. If Jesus had a Judas, you're, you're going to have a Judas. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, you haven't been following Jesus long enough, give it some time because eventually it's going to happen. That Judas, he was one of the disciples. That he was hand-chosen, selected by Jesus. He was an apostle. He was praying for people. He was casting out demons. He was preaching sermons. He saw the miracles. Judas was right there every single step of the way. And then Judas betrayed him. That Judas stabbed him in the back, betrayed him with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver, handed Jesus over, and Jesus was murdered. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have a Judas. It's going to hurt. This is probably one of the most painful parts of my job. It's to see people you love just turn away and walk away from Jesus. And then they have the nerve to take shots at you on their way out. It hurts. That you spend time investing in countless hours. You bring them over to your house. They babysit your kids. You go on double dates with your wife and theirs. And then they just leave. They turn their back on following Jesus. They turn their back on the church. They just give up and they're gone. It hurts. It hurts that you give people wisdom and guidance and you pray for them and they don't do any of the things you say and then they blame you for all their problems. It hurts. It's going to happen though. It's going to hurt. But you have a decision to make. You can either stay in your hurt and you can let it become hate that you can become frustrated, you can be angry, and you can become bitter. Or you can make it better. You can either let your hurts become hate, or you can let Jesus bring healing. Because that's exactly what the disciples do. See, the disciples, they moved on. Judas, he found a noose, he hung himself. The disciples, they kept moving forward. In Acts chapter 1, they find another man named Matthias, and they keep the mission moving forward. They don't stop. They don't give in. They don't let their hurt become hate. They get up. They keep moving, and the world changed because they didn't let their hurt become hate, but they let the Holy Spirit bring healing, and they changed the world. You can either get bitter or you can get better. You can let your hurt become hate, or you can allow the Holy Spirit to heal it. You have a decision to make. But know this, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to hurt. But Jesus always brings the healing. Number 10, that no one will know your name. Okay, quick, name all 12 disciples. Go ahead. 
That's what I thought. Right? You can't do it. No one knows all of their names. I'm a pastor, and I don't even know all of their names. Right? There's some of them we know a lot about. We're like, oh, yeah, that's Peter. He's loud. He's impetuous. He puts his foot in his mouth. Right? He water skis without a boat, trips, falls. He cuts a dude's ear off. Right? You know, he's the one who denied Jesus three times, cock-a-doodle-doo, the rooster crows, that whole shebang. Like, we know a lot about Peter. We know a lot about guys like Thomas, right? Oh, Thomas, he's the doubter. The one bad day of Thomas's life, that's all he's known for. Right? Like, hey, you know what? I did some other things, but okay, yeah, Thomas the doubter. Right? There's some disciples that we know a lot about, and then there's other disciples that we, mm, we don't really know a whole lot about. Right? So think about Thaddeus. Right? Does anybody know anything about Thaddeus? No. Right, you're like, I don't know. You want to do a really deep word study? Right, you want to spend a whole night nerding out? Here's what you need to do. Right, do a, do a study on Thaddeus. You can't do it. Like, you could tweet his whole life story. It's like, my name's Thaddeus, not Judas. The end. Like, that's it. <laughs> like, that's all we know about him. He's the other one, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot that we know about Thaddeus. And you know what? That's the point. That some of you, you're going to be like Peter. Some of you, you're going to be like John. But what we need as a church is we need a whole lot of men and women who are like Thaddeus. A whole lot of men and women who they don't care if people know their name. All they care about is if people know Jesus' name. That they're not in it for the recognition. They're not in it for the glory. They're not in it for everybody to come look at them because they know that it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. And if people are looking at me, they're not looking at him. I don't care if you don't know my name. I just want you to know the name of Jesus. We need a lot of men and women who are like, who are like Thaddeus. We need a lot of them. We need a lot of men and women like Charles Engbrock. We need a lot of men and women like Laura Maxwell and Donnie King and Erica Walker and Erica Vasquez and Keely Smith. We need a lot of men and women who are like J.C. Sanchez and Jessica Sanchez. We need a lot of men and women who are like Thaddeuses to where they don't care if they get the recognition. They just want Jesus to get the praise. Not everyone's going to be a Peter. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. We need a church filled with men and women like Thaddeus and Bartholomew and Simon. We need a lot of people who don't care if people know their name. Well, the last one, number 11, for you to leave a legacy. Here in this short section of scripture, we meet 12 men, 12 seemingly uneducated, backwoods, rural, poor men who nobody even knows who they are. We see 12 men that no one would have ever picked, no one would have ever chosen. And these 12 men, they single-handedly start a movement filled by the Holy Spirit that transforms, changes the world forever. These 12 men, their life changed the day that they met Jesus and it was never the same. And after the resurrection, they go, they plant, they preach, they write books of the Bible. And today, what started with 12 men has been changed to 4 billion people on this planet, worshiping, loving, serving Jesus from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, every ethnicity, every background, every socioeconomical upbringing, all bowing their knees, hands raised, worshiping the risen Savior, King Jesus. It started with 12 men. And the Bible, it tells us a lot about their life. And we see the legacy that they left. But the Bible doesn't tell us about how they died. 
It tells us how they lived, but it doesn't tell us how they died. In order for us to understand the legacy, we have to understand what happened. And so while the Bible doesn't tell us, there's another book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs written by the Puritans in the 1500s, and it tells us about the persecution and the martyrdom that the first church and apostles experienced. And it's all about leaving a legacy. It's about living for something greater than for yourself and going and dying for something bigger than yourself. That's what Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us. I believe that every new Christian should get an easy read translation of the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs, just so you can know your family history and the legacy that God wants you to leave. And so let's, let's just look at these 12 disciples. What happened? Well, first we meet Peter. So Peter, he preaches Pentecost. He writes two books of the Bible. He disciples John Mark, who writes this book that we're spending two years studying. He's a great man of God. And fleeing from the persecution in Rome, he goes to leave the city. At the advice of several elders and local members of the church, they say, Peter, Nero's going to kill you. You've got to get out of here. And so Peter, he goes to leave the city. And as he's walking out the gates of the city, he has an open vision of Jesus going, walking towards the city. And he says, Jesus, where are you heading? And Jesus tells him, I have come to be crucified again. Peter understands what this means. He turns around. He walks all the way back into the city, goes up to the governing officials, the pro-council, and he says, here I am. If you're going to kill me, kill me. There's a good place over there. I have one request, though. I am not worthy or fit to die in the same manner as my Savior, so you're going to have to crucify me upside down. And they did it. And Peter died, crucified, upside down. James, he was actually the first one to be martyred in AD 36. The church was growing at a rapid rate. Acts 2, 3,000 people get saved. Acts 5, 5,000 people get saved. Everything changes. The church is growing at a rapid rate. It's only a couple of years after Jesus' death and that Rome is shuddering because the church is growing. And James, he had a Judas. James had a man who betrayed him. That James was turned in to the Roman officials and they had arrested him and they planned to behead him. And they were dragging him through the city and the man who betrayed him was watching and following. And as James had his head on the chopping block, the man was convicted by the Holy Spirit. He confessed his sins. He repented. He apologized to James. says, James, I am so sorry. And that man became a Christian that day. And he held James's hand and he said, brother. And James forgave him, and both men put their head on that block. And the same day that man became a Christian, James forgave him, and they were both beheaded. John the Beloved, he became the lead pastor of the church in Ephesus. Right? He received several letters from the Apostle Paul. He planted a couple of churches, became a wise man, but later he was arrested, and they wanted to kill him, so they got a little creative. And this time, they decided to boil him alive in oil, and he didn't die. So what they did is they exiled him for several years onto the island of Patmos. And as a scarred, old, boiled man with severe third-degree burns all over his body, disfigured and dismayed, he went on and he wrote five books of the Bible. First, second, third, John, the book of Revelation and the gospel of John. And he was the only disciple not to die at a martyr's death. He never retired and he loved Jesus to the ripe old age of 100. Some of you older men, there is no retirement in the kingdom of God that you are to be faithful to the end, to love, to serve, to give, to pray, to disciple some of these younger men, to be faithful to the end. 
John the Beloved died at the age of 100. Simon, he was crucified in Egypt. Bartholomew was beaten, crucified, and beheaded. Bartholomew is a bad dude. Beaten, crucified, and beheaded. He's like the Terminator for Jesus. You can't keep this man down. Matthew, he was run through with a spear. Thomas, he planted a church in India. Church history tells us the same church that Thomas planted is still here to this day, 2,000 years. It's the oldest, longest-running church in the history of the world. Thomas the Doubter, his church is still standing to this day in India. And they ran him through with a spear. And they impaled him, hung him in the middle of the city, let his body and corpse rot, saying, this is what's going to happen if you follow Jesus. But his blood became the seed of a church that still exists to this day. Thomas impaled. Philip was stoned, beheaded with his daughter. Andrew, he becomes a church planner who's accused of overthrowing Rome for the Christian faith. Rome, they declared that he had turned the city upside down. And they said, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we are going to kill you. To which he replied, this is my favorite, I would not preach the glory of the cross if I feared death on a cross. And it was at his crucifixion, reports say that he never lost his nerve, he never looked away, he kept looking forward, and his last words were this, O cross, most wonderful cross, you are my lover and my friend. This sounds like a guy who's going to prom, not to his crucifixion. You are my lover and you are my friend. He says, oh, how I have longed to embrace you because I am the lover of, I am the student of the one who hung upon you. Come and see. Go and die. For these men, it started with an invitation. Come and see. Come hang out. Come watch what I'm doing. Come listen to me. Come learn from me. But the goal is not to stop at come and see. Could you imagine what would happen if the first disciples stopped at come and see? If all they did was watch, if all they did was hang out, if all they did was sit there, if all they did was just come and see, you and I, we would not be here today. You would not be a Christian today. You would not know Jesus today. You would not have this church today, if all the disciples did was come and see, we would not be here. The goal is for you to move from come and see to go and die. The goal is for you to live for something greater than yourself, to give your life for something bigger for yourself. The goal is for you to leave a legacy. The goal is for us to plant more churches, to raise up new leaders, to serve people, to reach those who are lost. The goal is that everyone with our last name their lives will be changed for generations to come. That's what it means to live for a purpose. That's what it means to die for a reason. That's what it means to leave a legacy. It's time for us to move from come and see to go and die. It's time for us to live for something greater, to give our lives for something bigger, to stop making excuses and start making disciples, to stop making a dent and start making a difference. It's time for us to stop taking the path of least resistance and to get on mission and to join the research it's time for us as a church to stop watching, start doing, stop being participators, start being what God has called us to be. It's time for us as a church to move from come and see to go and die. And some of you today, you're a new Christian. You're new to faith. You're new to the church. And you're wondering right now, is this pastor about to kill me? No. No. Right now, you're in the come and see season of your life. So come and see. Come hang out with us. Go to Next Steps. 
right? Find your gifts, find your purpose, get in a community group, start serving, make some new friends, just come and see. You come today, come next week, just keep coming back, just keep showing up, just keep coming and just keep watching and seeing. You're in that season of your life, just to come and see, hey, we love you, we're glad to have you, welcome. But the day is coming, you're going to move from come and see, and the expectation is eventually you will go and you will die. And others of you, You've been at redemption for a while. You've been following Jesus for a while. And it's your time to move from come and see to go and die. That you've been coming to the church, you've been hanging out, you made some friends, but now it's time for you to start to do something. So what is the next step that God would have for you? How are you going to go and do what God has told you to do? For some of you, that just means you need to fill out the connect card and you need to start serving. For some of you, that means you need to start giving. Maybe move up, start tithing. You need to take that next step. For some of you, it's joining a community group. For some of you, it's sharing your faith. For some of you, it's answering the call that God has for you to become a leader and a deacon and for you to pursue eldership and become a pastor. But whatever that next step is, we want you to take that next step because it's time for you to stop watching and it's time for you to start doing. If you want to leave a legacy, if you want your life to matter, if you want, if you want to give your life to something greater, you have to move from come and see to go and die. Stop watching, start doing. Stop just being a spectator. Stop consuming. Be a contributor. Be a participator. It's time for us as a church to move. Come and see. Go and die. What's your next step? I want you to take that today. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.